Hello, and welcome to the Cancer Tech Accelerator podcast. I'm your host, Katerina, as well as the program manager. I'm joined today by my co-host and our entrepreneur-in-residence, Nirmesh, as well as Dr. Pahini Pandaya, CEO and co-founder of Panakea Technologies. Trained as a cancer researcher, Pahini spent the last decade furthering translational research in the field. She pursued a PhD in cancer biophysics at King's College London, a postdoc at the University of Cambridge, and has several publications in top journals. Educated at the Stanford and Cambridge Business Schools, Mahini has also held several leadership positions across entrepreneurial organizations and helped numerous startups commercialize research. She has been recognized as a global shaker by the World Economic Forum and received multiple awards for entrepreneurship. Thank you very much for joining us today, Pahini. Thanks so much for having me. Brilliant. Um, so I guess get, just to get us all started, um, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about Panakea and how it came to be? Sure thing. So um, I'm the CEO and one of the two co-founders of Panakea. Um, in terms of what Panakea does, um, it's essentially building an AI-driven platform for instrument-free biomarker profiling. Um, and our key area of application is in using a software-based approach to re reduce the need for multiple lab-based tests, which are often required for cancer diagnosis and informing treatment. Um, using our solution, we can potentially accelerate um, diagnosis as well as uh, access to treatment, um, and of course, whilst reducing costs. Um, that's predominantly what Panakia does. It's a fast-growing startup. Uh, we were founded in 2018. Um, and in terms of my journey to Panakia, um, I spent nearly a decade, um, as you mentioned, in uh, academia doing cancer research with a focus on image-based biomarker discovery. My PhD was focused on trying to understand how different biomarker signalings can re result in different uh, phenotypes and mor morphologies um, of cancer. Um, and during my PhD, I had a bit of a cancer care myself. So um, I had to wait for nearly a whole month to get an all clear from the NHS. Um, having worked in the space, having seen the patient side of experience, both mm -hmm. at a personal front and having seen other uh, family members go through the same, um, it frustrated me. And that point was pretty much pivotal in me wanting to find avenues whereby it, I could translate my scientific expertise into real world applications. So I still wanted it to be very, very science driven, um, but I wanted it to have a much faster impact than what I could potentially um, get in academia. As a result of that, you know, I dabbled in several different um, uh, things. I dabbled in entrepreneurship, consulting, um, eventually decided entrepreneurship was the best way forward. I really enjoyed it. For me, it felt a lot like academia. So I joined Entrepreneur First, where I met my co-founder, Pandu. And the reason why uh, we instantly clicked was he had shared his personal experiences of challenges around cancer diagnosis. Um, and he had a very, very complementary background in computer science and mathematics. Um, and he had worked in uh, the cancer research space, both in academia as well as in industry um, at Walsh. Um, so we found that there were areas whereby we could combine our expertise in a very unique way to be able to build newer diagnostic solutions. Um, that's that's pretty much the short short end of the journey uh, or summary of the journey, if you will. Amazing, thank you. Um, and so I guess then, 
you, you mentioned quickly Entrepreneur First. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience for people who might not be familiar um, with what they do and kind of how that operates? So Entrepreneur First is um, a, quite a unique program. They like to call themselves talent investors where they invest in people before uh, teams and before ideas. Uh, they take a very high, uh, highly talented, um, very promising um, individuals Put, to, put them together in a room and give them eight weeks to start brainstorming and working with people um, to find ideas uh, that they could work on and build solutions um, around, right? Um, and within eight weeks, it's a bit like a speed dating process, an extended speed dating process where you tend to team up with different people, you work on it, you can very quickly decide whether you know there is really a problem um, which needs solving and there, whether it's there's really a big enough market for it. Um, by the end of eight weeks, if you found a co-founder, which I did, um, you incorporate a company, you have another four weeks to validate your idea, get market traction. You don't build anything. You focus on validating the market and making sure that there is a problem that people are willing to pay you to solve, right? Um, and then following the end of those four weeks, you pitch to their investment committee, on the back of which you get your early seed funding, um, and then you have another three uh, three months. Well, no, uh, about eight weeks, eight to nine weeks, um, where you again get to focus on building your business before pitching to a whole bunch of investors on demo day. So yeah, uh, it's it's quite an intense uh, six months that you have, um, but it's one of the best ways uh, to find a co-founder, uh, in my experience at least. Brilliant. How do you think you've managed to build such a strong relationship with your co-founder where a lot of the time trying to fall out is a big issue for early stage startups? Yeah, so I think, I mean, um, one of the big things that I had when I joined Entrepreneur First, which I was very clear about was um, I needed to find the right co-founder. I wasn't going to be too hung up on what idea we worked on as long as I had the right skills to build whatever solution we would build. So, you know, it could be something um, around you know various types of um, uh, applications in the cancer diagnostic pathway that that wasn't so much of a problem for me um, as it was as it was finding the right person because I had spent a lot of time um, finding the right co-founder outside of EF I had worked on a startup um, before EF um, and I knew the importance of having someone who was at the right stage and had the right mindset um, so so whatever I did throughout the program, I actually used that as my North Star, making sure, is this the person that I see myself spending 10 years with or next 15 years with? Because you're going to see that person every single day. Um, one of the key things uh, which was absolutely critical was that A, we had complementary expertise. Um, B, we could get along as friends. We could talk about things apart from work. Um, and see that we were able to have, one of the things that we actually did early on was um, take EF's advice around fierce conversations and establish ground rules on what are some of the things that we um, think are absolutely critical and indispensable uh, and you know which are uh, things which are absolute no-goes, right? Um, because I wasn't working with a friend, for me, it was personally easier to have those conversations um, with, with someone I had just met in a more professional context. Um, and I think that really helped. Um, but over the time, we've also 
um, creative ways for decision making um, where we you know established let's say if we had very opposing views on on a specific topic how would we convince each other um, and if we couldn't convince each other what were the next steps that we would do um, you know we, we we have a very clear process um, uh, and, and uh, there there's some fun to it as well uh, but it's worked really well for us um, at least uh, till today Spectacular. Um, you mentioned that you didn't have a specific or uh, kind of focused idea when you went into this program and that it was more about finding the right partner to go into it. You knew that you intended to start something, but you didn't know what it was. How did you then, I guess, get the idea um, for Panakea? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I knew I wanted to work in the cancer diagnostic space. Um, knowing that that's a bigger bottleneck to patients receiving the right treatment. Um, and my uh, PhD and my postdoc also, you know, um, allowed me to uh, leverage my expertise in, in that area, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I took a very structured approach, pretty similar to what I would have done if I was designing an experiment. I went out, mapped the whole patient journey within the clinic, spoke to different people, uh, to understand what the different um, aspects of the journey were. What are some of the key challenges that they had at their position? So um, to give you an example, I spoke to GPs, I spoke to oncologists, I spoke to surgeons, uh, pathologists. Um, I, I even spoke to um, nurses, right? And then eventually we came out with one of the areas that we thought we could put our skills the best use to, and that wasn't within pathology. So that's where we decided to focus uh, of course, we identified a lot of problems there as well, um, and we then decided to pick one of one of the ones which we thought wasn't being solved, but offered some of the biggest benefits. And then I suppose then once you had gone through that process with Entrepreneur First and you've had that idea, it's all set up more or less in your mind. What would you say was the biggest challenge that perhaps you didn't anticipate um, in those first few months? Or years for that matter, but. There, well, there, there have been consistently a lot of challenges that we've had to face um, and they vary depending on the time and stage you're at. Uh, the first biggest one for us came when, you know, we got the funding from EF and then we had to prepare to pitch to investors and we had to communicate such a complex product and a solution to people who have no clue about, you know, uh, the challenges or, or even quite a lot of people hadn't heard of pathology. You had to explain how it was different from radiology, right? Um, so for us, that the bigger challenge was how could we communicate it in a simple manner and not be too technical when we explained. Um, we had to put in a lot of effort, um, but the reality is uh, every single time we had a conversation, we would go back, review the questions we were asked and try and figure out why were those questions asked? Did they not understand the specific thing? Was there a way we could make it clear? Um, and uh, towards the end of the process, we actually did manage to make things a lot simpler. I, I mean, even if I look at my decks, I could see a massive difference between what we had started in the beginning and what it ended up at the end. Um, so, so, you know, um, I think uh, that that was one of the bigger challenges. Uh, at the moment, our biggest challenge is getting uh, people quickly enough in the team. Um, the challenge becomes uh, comes from the fact that a 
you're hiring everyone remotely um, and you also want to hire people quickly enough, but at the same time, you don't want to compromise on quality, but most importantly, the culture fits. Um, so optimizing for that is absolutely critical. And that's one of our, um, you know, more recent challenges. Excellent. So I'm just going to pick up on um, the culture fit you just mentioned. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on perhaps your journey? Because that's normally something that maybe people, at least in my experience, don't think about, especially at the earlier stage. And they only kind of really focus in on it once they've reached a level where it's already becoming a problem, perhaps even. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Um, the, the answer, I would say, is you probably won't know what it really, really means till you get it wrong. Um, and and what, what that means is we did make quite a few mistakes on the way, um, you know, even uh, within our team um, where we, we realized, okay, you know, uh, how do we put together a team? When you, when you initially hire, you hire individuals that you'd like to work with. So it's easy. Uh, it becomes difficult when you have a certain number of people already in the team who function well together because, you know, everyone's uh, get gets along well with each other and you know that they're they're you know um, working as a smooth team um, what, when you then start hiring beyond your networks is, is when the bigger challenge comes in because you've not met this person before at all um, and how do you then assess uh, how does the person fit into your culture um, so we took a again I, I I'm saying I, we took a very academic approach to this thing we, we decided to have a workshop in the team. We worked with the entire team to figure out what they valued the most at Panakia, what excited them, what they didn't like, uh, what are the things we could improve. Um, and we figured out based on the basis of that, that there were a few key principles that all of us really highly valued and functioned by. Um, and, and our overarching, um, that thing which came across consistently from every single team member was excellence. So we constantly strive for excellence, but then there are five uh, um, pillars, if you will, which, which support excellence, right? Um, and then some of those include um, things like, A, we all valued getting things done. And that's something we didn't want to compromise on at all. Uh, we valued inclusion um, to the highest degree. And that's because we are in a space where and we are building products which require interdisciplinary expertise. We need people from different backgrounds, different mindsets, different life experiences, um, in addition to different skills, right? Um, so that was something which is, became an absolute requirement for us. Um, then there are quite a few others, but I, one of the ones that I would like to point out is being stakeholder focused. So not just customer focused, you have to be absolutely customer focused, but we want to take it a bit more broader because there are a whole range of stakeholders uh, when you're delivering patient care. So you need to be stakeholder focused. Your users are different from uh, your customers, right? Um, and, and so are the benefactors, which are patients. You need to understand their challenges, their requirements, so as to be able to del deliver the best solution. Um, and this became another absolutely critical requirement for us uh, in context of culture. And this is something we always test, uh, you know, uh, to see if individuals exhibit some of these characteristics. So far, it's worked quite well for us. Um, I'll, I'll tell you more once we scale. <laughs> um, so 
along that pathway, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you what would you tell a young Bahini? Oh, that's that's such a great question. Um, let me think about this one. Yeah, I would I would probably tell myself, don't be afraid to ask. Just don't hesitate. Just ask sooner. Um, I I only realized that uh, the number of things that I could do um, were more limited by my hesitancy to ask people uh, for help, uh, thinking, what if they said a no, right? Um, but the reality is, once I started asking, I realized the worst that can happen is that they say a no. But if I don't ask, it's a no by default, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I've just honed on that um, in, in the last several years. But if I was a young PhD student, I would have probably pushed myself further. Nirmish, it's just, it's crazy, right? Um, we are in such a um, similar sort of, we took similar paths. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, six years back, it was just so, so different. Um, the resources were so few as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much it has changed at that level either. I'm not sure people even talk about this still in some um, no i think um, within academia there still remains that taboo right the yeah. uh, I, I remember very very distinctly that um uh that there was this perception uh where which we used to discuss is like oh um if, if you leave academia you're not a successful scientist if you move to the industry but that said some of the really bright minds actually have ended up in the industry as well um so yeah, yeah it was quite interesting I also remember telling my PhD supervisor and the amount of anxiety that gave me. And he was very, very supportive at the end of the day. He, was, he called me crazy, but he said he was very supportive about what I was doing, which yeah. just shows you it's all in your head at the end of the day. There is a stigma around academia, but it's mostly what you've built up in your head. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And I think a large part of that comes from not, not talking to peers. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there is awareness being built. There's also a lot of awareness being built around mental health and academia uh, and the challenges. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would I would still say like, I think at least programs like the Cancer Tech Accelerator weren't there uh, when we were there. If there was something like this, I would have probably taken the leap a lot sooner, right? Yeah. And to kind of lead on from that, what would you say is the most surprising thing that's, that you've come across during this journey? Um, how much, um, how much of my academic, the skills that I developed during my academic career, um, that I was actually able to translate, uh, to Panakia. Um, I, I'm consistently impressed, um, uh, by that. Um, I wasn't expecting this large degree of translation. Um, I still get to, you know, talk science, um, although I'm not doing it hands-on, but I wouldn't be doing it if I was a group leader either, right? Um, <laughs> I still get to do, you know, work in science, create the impact, um, stay at cut the cutting edge of research, um, but at the same time, I'm doing something meaningful and I've um, pretty much um, been able to leverage a lot of the skills around, you know, uh, designing experiments, project management, communications, Brand rating. I mean, for deep tech startups, that's an absolutely critical skill to have. Um, presentations, presenting your work, um, complex work in more um, lay terms as well. Um, 
I mean, what startup has done is literally uh, help me translate those uh, skills, but also stretch them further to what I would have done had I stayed in academia. And then I suppose off the back of that, what are some of the um, insights that you would give to those who are trying to make the decision at the moment to make that leap into becoming entrepreneurs from academia, perhaps? Um, I would say, um, don't be afraid to try out new things. Um, now, I think we are in a much better position now than you were uh, five, um, even you know, uh, seven years ago. Um, you have a lot of initiators which would allow you to test the waters on the side um, while still you know, continuing your full-time academic career. It does take a, you know, a couple of hours investment from your end, uh, but you know, take, take the shot, test it out. If you think uh, you, know, you like working on it, it gives you that flavor, but it also gives you an idea of how well suited you are towards um, entrepreneurship. Um, I would say that's the first thing. And the second thing is, I mean, a lot of academics um, have developed this, but be persistent. Um, you know, uh, that, that's one of the most important insights that I've had. Um, and I think I wouldn't have had it had I not been in academia. Can I just add to that, Bahini, is talk to your peers, because I still find it incredible that you and I were going through a similar journey at the same time. And I had no idea you were going through the same thing. And yes. it would have helped just talking to each other. Definitely, a hundred, hundred percent. That's that's absolutely critical. I mean, um, and and Mirmish, since you mentioned this, we, we were on the same floor, so yeah, <laughs> it's it it shows how much how little we talk to our peers in academia. And, yeah. So Pahini, what do you see the the future of cancer being like? Well, the future of cancer research or the future for cancer patients? I definitely see cancer becoming a non-lethal disease, essentially, non-terminal disease, um, with advancements in diagnostics, earlier detection, um, and better treatments. Um, it will become a more manageable condition. Uh, it will no longer be the scary um, condition that it is currently considered. Um, that, that's the future that I see. Um, and I do see a lot more of interdisciplinary approaches for uh, the future of cancer research. I mean, the future is today. The, the amount of work that is going on and the speed with which things are changing, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it just never ceases to amaze me. Um, and I guess just off the back of that with, um, you say earlier diagnosis and things like that, do you think that, um, the system is currently ready to adopt those advancements because it's one thing to have the technology available to you. And the other thing is actually implementing it within the places that need to implement it. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I would say the systems are not 100% there yet, but they're getting there. So um, NHS is a great, great, great example. Um, look at uh, how uh, quickly, they've you know thought about AI, how they how clear routes for adoption of AI that they've built. Right, uh, you have the NSSX programs, which enable all the way from uh, ideation to uh, late stage uh, development of AI with early reimbursement, which allow you to create all the evidence which is required so that you can get paid from hospitals. Right. Um, 
no, there, there are countries which are now coming up with similar scenarios. Um, but um, that said, I think there's still quite a lot of gaps where we need to a, build our understanding, but also, um, you know, um, of course it's biased a little bit towards AI, but uh, you need to under, uh, understand what are the challenges with co which come with the adoption of new technologies. Uh, you know, data protection is a great example. Uh, ethical challenges, which have always been at the core of cancer research, still remain and there will be new types of challenges which will come as we develop newer technologies. So we just need to be a bit more mindful of that and figure out how we can create systems which would allow us to adopt these new technologies in a safe um, but a quick way so that we can deliver the best benefits. Spectacular. Well, in that case, thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Fabulous. All right. Well, the Cancer Tech Accelerator program um, applications close on the 31st of May. Uh, so please be sure to check out the website and go forward with an application.